Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here today, and I invite you to open your Bible. Do you have your copy of God's Word? Please find it, if you will, and open your Bible or turn it on and find uh, with me Romans chapter number 5. We are still in the book of Romans, and so we're in chapter number 5. We're walking through this wonderful book written by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul for our instruction and for uh, our blessing and benefit and encouragement. And so I encourage you to find with me Romans chapter number 5 today. We'll be beginning today with verse number 9, and we'll look at it in just a few minutes. Are you all glad to be here today? Wasn't it great to see the Stein brothers baptized? And Amen. Celebrating in that. What a glorious, glorious day, and we're rejoicing with Eric and Gabe and their faith in Christ. And today I want to encourage you, if you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, then today won't you be obedient to Christ? Won't you, as, as you hear his voice, won't you say yes to him and embrace him and, and, and make sure your faith by being baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ? And I encourage each and every one of you, if you've never done that, that today that you would consider giving your heart and life to Christ as you hear his voice calling you. Embrace him as your master and king. Be baptized and follow him. Amen? Amen. Well, that's not the sermon. That's just an announcement. And so uh, I do want to share an announcement with you. I think I have a slide for this. We've been praying about Ukraine in the month of March and asking you to consider giving. Some of you today may bring in your offering today because it's the first of the uh, a month and uh, it's an opportunity for you to give. I encourage you to do that. And, uh, uh, but today uh, I shared with you uh, your giving so far. Last Sunday, we received over $11,000 more. Our total giving is $36,950. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? And um, we are going to send that right away to help our missionaries and our partners and also to help uh, pastors that we have relationships with there in Ukraine. Let's continue to pray for them. They said, the greatest thing you can do for us, <coughs> pardon me, is to pray for us. And so I encourage you to, to do that. On Tuesday, some other pastors heard what we were doing with our partnership and to help in Ukraine. And so a group of churches uh, in the state over in, in Mount Vernon, Illinois, have asked me to come over and talk with them. And they want to partner with us in our Ukraine partnership. I consider this to be God's work uh, among us. Amen. Amen. Now, one other thing I ask you to consider today before uh, to pray today. Would you please pray tomorrow? There'll be a funeral here at the church. Linda Johnson's uh, daughter passed away. And uh, you know Denny and Linda. And uh, her name was Elizabeth. And she passed away this week. And uh, it's... Denny and Linda are rearing and helping to raise their 
their grandchildren. And it's Ziva and Mickey, nine and ten years old. If you don't know the story, Elizabeth was like 43 years old. She passed away this week. 18 months ago, her husband, 41 years old, died of a massive heart attack. And the children were left without mom or dad. And they're rearing them. They need our prayers. Amen. And uh, uh, visitations this evening at Lakeview Funeral Home. And, uh, and the service will be here tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Let's pray for that family. They've gone through a lot of tragedy. Amen. Well, let's, let's stop and do that now. Father in heaven, we thank you for the offering given for Ukraine. We thank you for the great worship service that's happened already today. And Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is here in this place. And I thank you for watching the testimony of believers' baptism. And Lord, I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they do comfort us. Lord, you are our refuge and our strength and a very present help in time of trouble. And Lord, we bring to you our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and pray for their care. We pray for their comfort and we pray for their protection. But Father, I pray for those who have been decimated on both sides of a border and for those who are displaced in countries all over the world. Lord, there's grief and sorrow abounds. Lord, we're in a spiritual warfare ourselves. Help us to be cognizant of that and help us to be circumspect in our behavior, in our walk. Father, I pray particularly today for Linda and those children and their family that you comfort them and strengthen them and help us as a church family to minister to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, are you ready for Romans? Ready or not, here we go. Aren't you glad to be in Romans? We're learning together, aren't we? Walking through, slow walking. Some have considered this slow walking. I don't really think it is. I think we could go even slower if we wanted to. But in a couple of years, we'll be done. And so I and uh, maybe, really. And so uh, if you look with me to the ninth verse in chapter number five. And today, I just entitled this message, How Much More? You'll notice in this great chapter, he uses this t- term four times. How much more? How much more then? How much more? And he's helping us to understand the greatness of God's love and the greatness of his salvation. How many of y'all believe we've got a great Savior? And he has given us a great salvation. Do you believe that? Tell your neighbor, he's given us a great salvation. It is. It's a great salvation. Now today, I want us to look to chapter 5, verse 9. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from what? From wrath. That's the judgment of God. Verse 10, for if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, if that's true, 
then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received this reconciliation. Amen. Just a way of review, quickly, there's... we're, as we're looking into this passage of Scripture in chapter number 5, he's talking about the results of this justification that we have had and that we have experienced. That God has done a work. He, he was Christ, was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace and security with God through Christ. And that the Holy Spirit is in us. And the Holy Spirit is poured out in our hearts. In verse number five, the hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out of our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Isn't that good news? We've got the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Some woman was given a testimony one day and she said that she was a believer in Jesus Christ and the person to interview and her looked at her and she, she was an actress and a singer and they began to question her and said, well, how do you know? And she said, because I've got inside information. God's spirit, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And the love of God, notice what he says in verse 5. He says, in verse 5, he says, that God's love's been poured, flooded into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. But not only that, he points then to the cross. And we looked at that last week. And the cross stands as an eternal signal and sign of God's love for us. Amen. And so this theme that Paul is in now is about security. This work of God's grace, this justification, is a work that will be complete, and it is secure. Now, if somebody comes up to you and asks you this question, how would you respond? Have you been saved? What would you say? Have you been saved? Yeah. Yeah. And in one regard, we say, yes, I've been saved. And that's the right answer, if you have been. If not, I'd like to talk to you right after the service. Because today is the day of salvation. Yes, Lord. But you could also answer it this way. Yes, but I'm also being saved. Because the Bible says we're being saved. When you look at the verb tenses of salvation, there are three tenses that are used in Scripture. The Bible tells us, I am saved, I am, I'm being saved, and I shall be saved. Hallelujah. And it's this work of God's grace that's ongoing in our life. And if you have faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you're declared just justified. You have trusted in Christ and you've been saved by his grace. Hallelujah. But you are also being saved. 
God's still working in you. Aren't you glad he didn't quit working in you? Some of you still need more work. But it's God working in you. He's changing you. He's removing sin. He's sanctifying. He's doing this work in you. And thirdly, aren't you glad that he, we shall be saved? Out of this world of sin and darkness. Amen. John Stott said this is kind of a classic idea here of the already and not yet. And it's something that has already happened, but it's not yet fully finished. And there's a tension about what's been accomplished and what will be accomplished in this Christian life. So this is the argument Paul is making. He's using logic and he's using debate to help us to understand then how much more then. What he's really saying is, he's, Jesus did the same thing. From, he he, he argue, argued from the lesser to the greater, didn't he? He said, listen, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will God take care and give the Holy Spirit to you, give good gifts to you? So it's arguing, right, from the lesser to the greater. If you know how to do this, how much greater God will do this? It's the same argument that Paul is making, except in reverse. He says, God's done this greater thing in justifying. God is doing this greater thing in reconciling you. And God will bring to completion what he started. He'll do the lesser thing as well. Hmm. Interesting. Notice with me in verse number 9, we're going to walk through the text together. In chapter 5, verse number 9, how much more than... Since we have now been justified by his blood, we'll be saved through him from wrath. First of all, notice we are justified. To be justified means to be declared right before God. It is a forensic statement. It is saying this a legal statement. It's not on the basis of your works that you go to heaven. It's not on the basis of keeping the law perfectly or fulfilling its demands. It's God's work in us and for us, and it's all of grace. So it can say in the scripture that we are justified by grace, as indeed Paul says in chapter 3 and verse number 24, they are justified freely by his grace. We are justified by grace, but in chapter 3, verse number 28, he says we're justified through faith. Notice what he says. He says, for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So we're justified by grace. We're justified by faith. Is, that, is there a contradiction there? Of course not. He's saying this work is a work of God's grace and that God is doing a work of grace and it's through faith, but it's not your own works. It's his work in you. He connects this work, this justification with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For in chapter four, verse 25, he was delivered for our trespasses, but raised for our justification. We're justified because Jesus Christ conquered death, died on the cross, and rose again victoriously. Amen. 
And we in 1 Corinthians 6.11 says that we're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. In Galatians 2.17 it says we're justified in Christ. But Paul helps us understand what is the real means of our justification. It is in Jesus Christ because of the work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross in dying for all of our sin. Notice what he says in chapter number 5, verse number 9. How much more then shall we have been justified by his, what's it say? By his blood. There are some who like to, don't like to talk about the blood of Christ. But my friends, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And the Old Testament understanding of the Old Testament sacrificial system, the life is in the blood. And whenever the blood is shed, it brings atonement and satisfaction to a holy God. It had to be an animal without spot or blemish. And it was brought to the tabernacle or to the temple, and the animal was slaughtered. Its blood was captured, and it was sprinkled on the altar and on the mercy seat. It was making atonement for the sins of the people. But the truth of the matter is, the blood of bulls and goats was pointing to a greater, more perfect sacrifice that can atone for sin. And an animal cannot atone for a human being. We need a perfect man, but there's no perfect men. So God sent his own son who becomes a man that his sacrifice would be a perfect sacrifice for all of our sin. Amen. The book of Hebrews. In chapter, Hebrews chapter number 9, beginning with verse... Number 22, if you have your Bible, look with me to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in heavens to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. For Christ didn't enter a sanctuary made with hands, a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, that he might appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as a high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he'd had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now... He has appeared one time at the end of ages for the removal of sin by himself. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Chapter 10, verse 4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Chapter 10, verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter the sanctuary. How? Through the blood of Jesus. There's only one way for us to be saved, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. The life of Jesus Christ was poured out on the cross, and as 
Christ shed his innocent blood on Calvary's cross, it covered all of our sins. It satisfied a holy God, and your sins and my sins were paid in full. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain, we sing, filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty sin stains. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. By his death, he poured out his life. His blood was drained on the cross. And he rose again victoriously. By the Holy Spirit's power, he rose again. Amen. Have you ever bought something and got a stain on it that you couldn't get it out? Don't you hate that? Sure is the world, I'll go buy a new shirt. Drive-throughs are notorious for me and causing stains. I somehow hold that fish fillet in its wrapper. I put napkins underneath it, but grease and tart, don't you condemn me, you eat at McDonald's too. <laughs> and juice and grease gets on your shirt. I want to come home and say, Christy, i got something for you to do. She says, you do it. <laughs> I, I scrub and scrub. It's, I put it on. I go, eh, still see it. There's just some stains that don't come out. Remember years ago, I was in a place called the washing machine. It was in the mountains in Bulgaria. And people that didn't have washing machines in their houses would go to where a pool of a live stream was coming out of the mountains into a pool that made like a churning water. And they would bring their soaps and their scrub. They would scrub. And they'd bring the scrub boards and scrub their laundry. And then they would beat it on the rocks and dry it as best they could or take it home to hang to dry. They were working on the stains of that place. I see people today working on stains. They're trying to cover their stains. They're trying to do good works to eliminate their stains. They're going to counseling, trying to deal with their stains. They're trying to be religious enough to do good stain, to cover their stains. But their stains they cannot remove. The stain of sin, the stain of betrayal, the, the stain that pollutes our soul. Do you know what I'm talking about? Amen. And we wonder, how can I ever be free? I remember one time I was a chaplain. When I was a young man, I worked for a while at a hospital as a chaplain while I was finishing seminary. 
And so I worked at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas. The doctor one day said to me, he said, uh, uh, Chaplain, would you go and visit this lady in this room? I think she really needs a visit. I said, okay. I was just a young man. I went in, and she had all these health issues, and they couldn't find out the source of them. And so I sat with her for a while, and even though I was much younger than her, finally she said, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. I shut the door because she wanted privacy. There was no one else in the room. And she confessed sin in her life. Terrible sin, adultery, lying affairs, cover-up, serial adulteries, and the guilt that plagued her soul. And that her husband had died, and she couldn't ask him to forgive her. And we spend some time talking about the love of God and that Jesus Christ died. And when he died, he took her sin and he nailed it to the cross. And that the blood of Christ poured over her sin. And a holy God said, it's paid for. It's covered. I see it no more. And he's thrown it into the depths of the sea. He's hidden it behind his back. And she said, me, even me. And I said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. She said, even me. I said, you. And she said, would you pray with me? And she turned her heart to Christ, prayed a beautiful prayer of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Two days later, I came by the hospital on my shift, and I thought I would just check in with her and see how she was doing. I couldn't find her. When I found the doctor, I said, how's she doing? And he goes, oh, chaplain, she is healed and has gone home. She said, I knew there was nothing physically wrong with her, but I knew she needed help. And she said, I knew that the only help she could get was in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's what God does. You Today, somebody's here today. And you think, does God love me? Look at all the mess up I've made. You're focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on your sin, but you need to lift your eyes and focus on a Savior. And that Savior died for you. Dark, dark is the stain I cannot hide. What, what can avail to wash it away? Look, look, there's blowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. That's God's grace. Amen? Amen. Secondly, he reconciled us. Notice what it says in chapter number 5. It says in verse number 10, 
For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through faith in his Son. This is what God has done for us. He not only saved us, he reconciled us. We were adversaries. We were opposed to him. We were enemies with him. There was enmity between us and them. It began with Adam, didn't it? Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve? Who came and tempted the woman in the garden? Right. Satan comes, disguised as a snake, right? Speaking through a serpent, a serpent in the garden. And, uh, and he tempts the woman, and she is deceived, and she takes the fruit, and she does what? She eats it. And she then does what? Gives it to whom? Her husband. And so here's the deal. Adam willfully sinned against God. Yes, Eve was deceived, but Adam willingly sinned against God. And when he did, he took a position as enemy, as, an, as God being his enemy. And what he basically said was, God, I don't want to orient my life around you or your will or, or what you want in my life. I want to do what I want to do, and I want to live how I want to live. And he cast off all restraint, and he says, you will not be my Lord. I will do what I want to do. That is at the heart of sin. I want what I want. And I want it the way I want it. And when you do that, and that's what we've all done, you have declared war with God. And God himself and his righteousness is opposed to the proud. He cannot let you into heaven because you are a sinner and you're opposed to him and he is opposed to you. God is opposed to the proud. He is. And you are under the wrath of God. This is the whole argument of Paul in Romans chapter 1. You're now under his wrath. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who in their by unrighteousness suppress the truth. It brings judgment into your life. Notice in chapter 1, verse 28, they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. He delivered them to a corrupt mind to do what is not right. They're filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, trustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That's us. And we are deserving of hell and not of heaven. We are enemies with God. And there was this outstanding certificates of debt that were against us because we are all sinful. But Jesus Christ died for us. He took in him his own self our sin, and he paid for it in full. And God made him who was no sin to become sin on our part. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And he bore our sins. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
And Jesus Christ died for your sins and for my sins so that we might be made reconciled to God. In the book of Colossians, chapter number 1, Colossians, chapter number 1, verse number 19. Listen to the scripture, what it says. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness to dwell in him. Who's him? Jesus. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. How? Through his what? Blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. Why? To present you holy, faultless, blameless before him. Wow. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. All of our, on the cross of Christ, all of our sins are borne by him. And his blood is poured out and his life is given and our guilt is removed and we have been saved. That's what it means. That's what God has done for us. Secondly, what is God doing for us? He is saving us from the power of sin. He's saved us through justification and the atoning work of Christ on the cross. He saved us from the penalty of our sin, but he's also saving us from the power of sin. Sin is actively involved in the members of my body. Paul talks about this in Romans 7, which we'll get to someday. And Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I'm convinced that he who began a good work in you will perfect it into the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, But to us who are being saved, God is still working in you, changing you. Tell your neighbor, God's a, you're a piece of work. Just tell him, you're a piece of work. <laughs> Don't elaborate on that. <laughs> that means God's working in you. Aren't you glad that God's the one that's doing the work? Tell your neighbor, God's working on me. Tell him, tell your neighbor, God's working on me. Yeah. He is, he's working in you too. He says, you've been raised with Christ and seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There's a response that you have to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, God has given you the things that, what helps us to be sanctified is the work of grace. God's work of salvation is all his from beginning to end, but he's doing a work of sanctification in your life. He brings circumstances in your life so that you will trust to him, cling to him more tightly so that he can reveal himself to you. He brings blessing into your life so that you might know him and his grace and his love for you. He brings family into your life. He brings challenges into your life. He brings enemies into your life. He uses all of those things because he's shaping in you, but he also gives you the word of God. Father, sanctify them. S sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. He's given us of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is working in us to change us. 
And God is completing the work in you. He didn't just save you and say, now live however you want to live and someday I'm going to take you to heaven. No, he, he's transforming you. You won't fully arrive, fully sanctified. To sanctify something means to make it holy. And you are called saints because God says about you what he intends to do to you. Make you holy. Inside out. Upside down. Completely holy before him. When we get to glory, there won't be any sin. No rebellion. No hatefulness. You say, I don't know how to live. That's exactly right. It'll be different than you've ever known anything in your life. Because God is working to change you completely and make you holy. That is an amazing, mind-boggling thought. So tell your neighbor, God's not done with you. How many of y'all have ever started a project and not finished it? Some of you have. You've always finished every project you've ever started. Hmm. Notoriously, I've started a project and not finished them. Famously, in Siena Cathedral in Siena, Italy, about an hour from Florence, they started work on a cathedral in 1215, right in the Middle Ages. They continued to work till 1263, and then the bubonic plague came along, and they quit working for a while. You all think the virus was bad here. At the end of that bubonic plague in Siena, Italy, the population was decreased by four-fifths. The cathedral was going to be more imposing the plan than St. Peter's in Rome. It's now 800 plus years later and it's still not complete. But God's not like that. The work he started in you, he's going to bring to completion. And he is working in you, transforming you by his grace for his glory. Finally, what will God do? There's a future element to this text that we're looking at. Seems to be the thrust of it. He says in chapter 5, verse number 9 and 10, we will be saved through him from wrath. We will be. Verse 9 And then verse number 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now listen, how much more? He said, when we were enemies, God justified you. When you were enemies, God reconciled you. When you were sinners, God saved you. When you were ungodly, Christ died for you. That was the heavy work. Now he says, how much more will he complete the work? We will be saved by his life. Yes, we were saved by his death, but we are saved by his life. 
You see, the truth of the matter is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus. There's no condemnation. When we look into Romans chapter 8, notice with me in verse number 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He's at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. That is a mind-boggling thought right there. Jesus not only died for you, Jesus prays for you every day, every moment. Isn't that, does that make somebody here happy today? Not only that, notice in verse 35, he said, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, nothing. And all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in heaven, nothing in hell, nothing in life, nothing in death. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because my security is anchored not to my works, not to my good deeds, but to the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews... In chapter number seven, stay with me. Hebrews chapter number seven and verse number 23. Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood Permanently. Who's that? That's Jesus. Jesus is a permanent priest. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him. How much can he save them? Completely. Since he always lives to what? Intercede for them. Christ intercedes. And that's the kind of highest priest that we need. He's holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He doesn't offer sacrifices every day as the high priests do, first for their sins and then for the people. He did that for once for all time when he offered himself. Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. He comes from the tribe of Judah But he is a high priest, and he is a high priest with an indestructible life. So he lives, and because he lives, I live also. And my security is anchored to the resurrected Jesus Christ. He holds you in your hand. You're secure in your salvation. Your salvation is this. He justified you by his blood. You were saved from the penalty of sin. 
He is sanctifying you by the work of his spirit in you. You're being saved from the power of sin over your life. And finally, you shall be saved from the presence of sin and be with the Lord in glory. Salvation involves justification, sanctification, glorification. And what God started in you, he will bring to completion. And so you say, well, Brother Tim, how do I respond to this? I'm glad you asked. Because Paul tells us we're going to boast in him. We're going to exult in him. We're going to serve him. We're going to praise him. We're going to lavish our love on him. Amen. There's some of you here today, you wonder, you wonder, hey, am, am I good enough? What if I, somehow or another, it just gets into our thinking. Yeah, I've prayed to receive Christ, but I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'll make it. Maybe I've sinned too much. Maybe I've not confessed everything before I die. I'm, maybe I... Can, I can, can you listen to me? Your salvation is not based on your works at all. It's based... Your salvation leads you to good works. The work of the Spirit leads you to changes your life. But you don't, you don't add to your salvation at all. It's all his work for you. Amen. I sometimes read a hymn, and some of them are hymns that are older, and then some are more modern, maybe. And today I want to put one on the screen that we're going to sing in just a moment. I am not singing it. I'm going to read it to you. And then we'll sing it. Look at the screen with me if we have it. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look, and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the one, the risen Son of God.
That's good news, isn't it? Amen. Stand with me. I, I meant to do this. Worship team, come. Heavenly Father, tonight, today, we have examined these great truths of what you have done, what you are doing, and what you shall do. And we are awestruck by your great love and your great mercy. And Father, I thank you that you give us security, our Security is not found in our ability, but it's in your work. And so we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.